This message was presented at the GYC 2010 No Turning Back Conference in Baltimore, Maryland. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Well, good morning, everyone. Glad to see you all. Let me move this. Go ahead and get started. So we're at Adventist Women's Inc. seminar, and um, next to me. And I want to welcome you back for those who were here yesterday, and for those of you who this is your first time, welcome. We're very glad that you're here. Um, we just spent some time yesterday talking about women in the workplace, the different strengths that we have, the way that we can be witnesses there, um, learning how to balance our own lives and figuring out how to do all of that. And today, this morning. We want to make it really practical. Um, the first seminar session, we want to talk about, is this God's call on your life? Is it his call for you to go into a professional career? Is it his call for you to go into full-time ministry? Is it his call for you to do something else? And so we're going to do a Bible study this morning, actually, to help determine that, which means I should grab my Bible. It's still in my bag. <laughs> um, and then for the second seminar, we're going to have three other women who are going to share um, aspects of their own story, and we're going to open the floor for questions. And so you can ask them questions about how they've balanced their lives, how they came to the decisions that they did. They're all, they all have received an education and were at least at some point professional. Some of them have um, gone on to stay at home with their children. Others have figured out a way to balance between the two. So you can ask them any number of questions, and they'll also share with us a little bit from their own personal experiences. So have you all been enjoying DOIC so far? Yes, well, praise the Lord. I'm glad to hear that. And we'll go ahead and get started with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for waking us up this morning and giving us a new day of life. And we know that our lives are not our own, but that they are yours, Lord. And so I just ask that as we open your word this morning, as we study, that you send your Holy Spirit to teach us and to inform us so that we can know how best to plan our lives, Father, because we know you have a specific plan for each and every one of us, and we want our lives to bring you glory. We thank you again for all that you've done for us. Help us to remember that so that we can keep things into perspective. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to turn the volume down. It sounds like there's feedback on here. All right. I think that's a little bit better. Okay. So... We're going to be doing a Bible study and also go, going over some very practical advice that a wise person once gave me when I was trying to figure out, you know, where is God really calling me in my life? What am I supposed to do with the skills and the talents that he's given me? So hopefully you guys will find this practical. We're going to do some exercises again, so hopefully you have your program booklet or a notebook with a pen so that you can do some writing. So we're going to do a case study. I'm a lawyer. And the way that they, or I'm not a lawyer yet, I shouldn't say that. I could get in a lot of trouble for saying I'm a lawyer, and I'm not one yet. I graduate in May, and I take the bar exam in July. So hopefully by this time next year, by the grace of God, I can say I'm a lawyer. But I'm a lawyer in training right now. And the way that they train us to be lawyers one day is they have us read cases. And we study the case, and we pick out the facts, we pick out what the rule of law is, and then we learn how to apply it to a new set of facts. And we can do the same thing when we study the Bible. We can look at a Bible character, see how they went about the different experiences in their life, extract the principles from that, and then apply it to our own life to make sure that we get the proper result. And we have the benefit, we can see when Bible characters messed up <laughs> and not fall into the same steps, or we can see when they did something well, and we can learn to do that well as well. So that's what we're gonna do this morning. We're gonna talk about a princess. 
Actually, she's not a princess, but her name means princess. Her name is Sarah. Sarah was Abraham's wife, and both her name before she was, her name was changed to Sarai, and when it was changed to Sarah, it means princess or noble woman. So she had a noble calling on her life. She was someone who was very special. God had a specific plan for her. She was a princess. Um, so let's go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 11, verse 29. And this is the first time that we're introduced to Sarah. And the Bible says in Genesis 11, chapter, or chapter 11, verse 29, And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Issachar. So the first thing we see about Sarai is that she's somebody's wife. Now, let me read the next verse, and then I'm going to make a statement. I don't want us to jump to sudden conclusions about what I'm trying to say God's call on women's life are, that there's only one type of call. So bear with me for just a second. Let's read Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And the Bible says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. So we see that this is the call of Abram. But Abram was married to who? Sarai, later called Sarah. Abraham and Sarah were married. And so when Abraham was called, Sarah was called also. But there was a specific call in Abraham's life. He promised three things. He promised that he would make Abram a great nation. He promised that he would give him protection. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and him, dis that, him that dishonors you I will curse. And he promises that all nations will be blessed through you. But what was the way that God promised this to Abram? How was the world going to be blessed by him? Through what? through a son, through his own family. And the last time that I checked, men aren't able to have children. You need a wife in order to have a child. So, you know, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying by us applying, let's, let's extract the principle from this. Okay, so Sarah was a wife, and then because she's married to Abram, she must be the person who has to bear these children for Abraham in order to fulfill this promise. So yes, in a specific way, she was called to be married, to be a wife, and she was called to have children. But think about it on a deeper level. This, and all nations will be blessed, is a promise that continues throughout Scripture. It's even in the three angels' message that we're supposed to proclaim the gospel to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. We're the inheritors of Abraham's covenant. Sarah was called not just to be a wife and a mother. She was called to be the person who began a movement that would change the world. It was her privilege by bearing children in order to do that. In the same way, God has a calling on each of our lives. The number one calling on each of our life is to spread his gospel. It may be through, be through being a mother. It may be through having children. It may be through being a lawyer or being a businesswoman or being a nurse, being a teacher, through a Bible worker. We don't know exactly sometimes what that is, but we can know without a shadow of a doubt God is calling us to take the gospel to the world wherever that we are. And that it's an awesome privilege that we had just like Sarai did. But we see she had a privilege, right? God told Abram exactly what they were supposed to do. We don't always know, like, okay, God didn't reveal himself in a vision to me. How do I know what God's call is based on his word? And that's exactly what it is. It's, it's based on his word. God still communicates with us today on, um, on how we should 
be able to figure out his will for our life. So God called Sarah to be a partner in establishing a people that would take over the world for God. Um, it's not working. There we go. Okay, so the question is, how do I know God's call? I'm going to outline the steps that we're going to go through ahead of time just so you can know where to take notes. I hate when, like, <laughs> the speaker says, I'm going to make three points, but one, they don't tell me what the three points are, and then two, like, it's just they're out of order, so then my notes get all messed up, but I'm kind of a perfectionist. So I'm going to give them to you ahead of time, so if you're, like, very type A like me, your notes can look perfect. So <laughs> the first thing that we're going to look at in how to know God's calls, we're going to look at... Um, scripture promises and and talk about claiming them in prayer the second thing is reflection the importance of looking at the people who god has made us to be next we're going to concentrate on making god look good and this is going to address some of the questions i heard in the seminar yesterday we're also going to ask god to check our attitude and then we're going to ask for confirmation so these are the what is that five steps that we're going to go through to help determine what is this call that god has on my life so number one, scripture promises. The reason we're even looking at scripture, let's turn to Psalm 119. Verse 105. And this is why we're even looking to scripture in the first place. This is what God promises us in his word. He says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's a very familiar verse to us, but we forget the power of the truth that's within that verse because it has become so familiar to us. When we study God's word, it is a lamp to us. It tells us the way that we should go. It tells us the path of which we should walk down in life. So as we study the, his word, we can find promises that God has given us. And as we pray about, Lord, what is your calling in my life? He can reveal to us by claiming those promises what it is that he would like us to do. So the first promise, Psalm 32, verse 8. The Bible reads in Psalm 32, verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and brittle, or I will not stay near you. I didn't need to read verse 9. I just need to read verse 8. <laughs> so we'll read it again in case that threw anyone else off. It, I threw myself off. <laughs> I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So when we pray, we can say, Lord, you promised me that you will instruct me and you will teach me which way to go. And I know that you promised that because you're watching me. You see, some people believe in God, but they don't believe that he's a personal God. They think that maybe he created the world or maybe he at least started the processes and then the world kind of came into being on its own. And then over time, you know, he's just kind of up there, but he doesn't care. That's not true. This verse clearly refutes that. God is watching each and every one of us as individuals. He has a plan for each of our lives. And as we claim this promise in prayer, we can say, Lord, you promised me that you'll teach me and you'll instruct me in the way that I should go. Next verse, Jeremiah 33.3. I read this verse. I still do. I guess I'm still in school. Sometimes I think I'm not. <laughs> but in Jeremiah 33.3, I would claim this promise a lot of times before my exams. Lord, you promise you're going to show things that I don't know. But this is even more important for the way that we can plan our lives. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. So God is saying, talk to me. Just ask me about it. And I will what? He promises that he will answer us. He's not going to hide the ball. 
He wants to let us know what his plan is for our life. And he says that he'll show us great and hidden things that we have not known. You know, God's call in our life could be something that never even crossed our mind. It could be something that we never would have thought we were capable of. But God will reveal that to us if that is his plan for our life. You know, your whole life you may have been planning to be a physician. And the next thing you know, no, God wants you to be an elementary school teacher. He'll reveal that to you if you're open and willing through prayer to listen to what he has to say. Isaiah 48, verse 17. Isaiah 48, verse 17 says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. So in this verse, we're reminded of a few things. God is our Lord, but he's also our Redeemer. He's purchased us. He's invested in us. He has, he has a distinct interest in us as a result of that. And he says, he is the Lord our God. He teaches us to profit. Now, if I can find it in my notes, this word profit means in the Hebrew, it's called ya'al. And it means to benefit, to excel, to be useful. He teaches us what's best for us. He teaches us how to do things well when we call on him. So as we're praying, like, Lord, I know you're not calling me to a life of mediocrity. Even if you're calling me to get married and stay home with children, you want me to be the most excellent stay-at-home mom that I am, or that I can be. Or if you call me to be a, a chemical engineer, you want me to be the best chemical engineer that I can be. And claiming this promise, God wants us to excel. He wants us to profit. Not in the sense of making lots of money, although he may bless us with that so that in turn we can bless his work. But he wants to make us excellent. He wants to bring glory to himself. But again, I'm getting ahead of myself like I usually do. Last promise. Okay, last promise that I'll share with you. But scripture is chock full of plenty and plenty of promises. So don't think that these are the only ones that are in the Bible. Um, Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5. The Bible says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. So we see, when the psalmist is writing here, he recognizes God is the God of our salvation, and we must wait on him in order to show us where he would go. Because the truth of the matter is, when God has a plan for our life, I mean, I was so blessed by the morning devotional this morning. Did you, were you guys able to go and hear that? And I think it, it, it joins very well with what we're talking about this morning. You know, God, he doesn't want bad for us. He wants us to be saved. He wants us to be in heaven with him. And so when we fear about, oh, but what if God calls me to some sort of occupation I wouldn't want to do? It's, we're almost asking the wrong, wrong question because God wants to take us to the occupation that will help us be most close to him. He's worried about people's salvation. He's worried about the world's salvation, but he's also worried about our own. He wants us to be in the place where we're most likely to call out to him and we're also most likely to bring other people closer to him. And so by being open about where God may be calling us into the future, it's knowing God wants to save me, and he wants to save others through me. In fact, let's go to Acts 17. This isn't on the slideshow, but this is one of my favorite um, verses in all of Scripture, and I think I share it in almost every seminar that I do, and so I have to. <laughs> um, and this is when um, Paul is talking to the you know, wise people in Athens. Acts chapter 17 
and they're, they're talking, he sees that they're a very intelligent people, that they have an idol for every single god that could be, and just in case they missed one, they have an idol to the unknown god. So he sees that these people are religious people, but he's trying to bring their attention to God, and he says, God has brought me here for a reason right now. And it starts in verse 26. And he, speaking of God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is not far away from each and every one of us. I'm just repeating something I said earlier. God is a personal God. He invests in each of us individually. He cares for each of us individually. And so he has ordained different circumstances and times in order for him to help us to come closer to him. He's not far away, but sometimes we're blind to that fact. But he wants us to be close enough that we can reach out and we can touch him and know the way that he's leading us. All right. So these are different scripture promises. You can continue to search. The Psalms has many, but throughout all of scripture, there's different promises where God promised us, us that he will help us to direct our paths, that he'll give us wisdom in knowing how to plan the future. So search your Bible, and then as you're searching them, write them down. And then when you're praying, Lord, what's your call on my life? Remind him, this is what you said. You know, yesterday we talked a little bit about creation, even though it doesn't, well, it has to do with this, but... Think about creation. When God spoke, it happens. God can't lie. That's why we're able to claim scriptures when we pray, because we remind God of the power of his word. God said, let there be light, and there was what? Light. He, whatever he says comes into being, and it has to happen. So when we are claiming scripture, it's not just a formula like, okay, God, I pray this, and then you should give me what I want. That, that's not the fact. The fact of the matter is we're recognizing God's ability. We're recognizing what's true about his word, that it's, it fulfills itself. It's, it's creative in its very being. And so when we say, Lord, you said this, that means it has to be because that's just the way God is. God cannot lie. So when he sees, says something, he means it. And that should be a lesson on the way that we use our words too. When we say something, it, we should mean it. But now I'm going off a little bit. Next, reflection. This is where we're going to start doing some activities. But before we do, I'm going to read you a quote. And bear with me. It's a really, really long quote. I think I put bullets. Yes, so you can follow along. These are the main points that come out of this quote, but let me read it to you. It's from Education, page 267. And before I read it, that's actually out of the chapter called The Life, Work, and Education. I think it's chapter 31. If you're really trying to determine what God's calling for you is, whether you're currently a student and planning on going to work, or if you're currently working somewhere and you're like, Lord, are you calling me somewhere different? Or if you need to give advice to someone on their life work, I strongly recommend you go read Education, Chapter 31. Um, the li- well, read the whole book. It's like one of my favorite Spirit of Prophecy books. <laughs> but specifically Chapter 31, she talks about the life work. And she starts, success in any line requires a definite aim. But the most noble aim that the youth of this generation can have is to take the whole gospel to, this, to the world in this generation. And then that's the, that's the same chapter where at the very end she says, how soon with an army of youth such as are trained, rightly furnished, could take the gospel to the whole entire world. It's, it's just so encouraging, but it also gives very practical advice. And that's where some of this comes from, on how to figure out where God is calling us to take the gospel to the world. But, all right, I'll read the quote now. I'll stop giving introduction. The specific place appointed us in life is determined by our capabilities. Not all reach the same development or do with equal efficiency the same work. 
God does not expect the hyssop to attain the proportions of the cedar, or the olive the height of the stately palm, but each should aim just as high as the union of human with divine power makes it possible for him to reach. Many do not become what they might because they do not put forth the power that is in them. They do not, as they might, lay hold on divine strength. Many are diverted from the line in which they might reach the truest success. Seeking greater honor or more pleasing task, they attempt something for which they are not fitted. Many a man whose talents are adapted for some other calling is ambitious to enter a profession, and he who might have been successful as a farmer, an artisan, or a nurse feels inadequately, inadequately the position of a minister, a lawyer, or a physician. There are others, again, who might have fulfilled a responsible calling, but who, for want of energy, application, or perseverance, content themselves with an easier place. We need to follow more closely God's plan of life. To do our best in the work that lies nearest, to commit our ways to God, and to watch for the indications of his providence, these are rules that ensure safe guidance in the choice of an occupation. So we see she talks about a few different things here. The importance of talents. What are the God-given skills that, she's given to, that God has given to us? What's the work that lies nearest to us? What is our commitment to God? Because we talked about that yesterday. The commitment to God, spending that time with him as a result of that commitment, is what helps inform us for what direction we should go. And watching for the indications of God's providence. What things in your life keep popping up? What opportunities keep popping up? God may be trying to tell you something, if something is happening over and over again. But um, specifically reflecting on talents, oh, before we go into that, she was saying, she said something here that was really, really interesting. Many, become what they, many do not become what they might because they do not put forth the power that is in them. And then she made two distinctions. She said, first of all, some people would make a great artisan or a great nurse or a great teacher or a great, or a, it wasn't teacher, farmer, but instead they are looking for something that's prestigious and they become a physician, they become a lawyer, they become a minister, but their talents and their capabilities weren't suited for that position. But then there are people who are nurses, artisans, teachers, and this is, I'm just using the dichotomy that you make. I'm not trying to make a, a judgment about which is prestigious and which is not. But because people are not willing to put forth the talents that God has given them, they're not fulfilling the actual levels of occupation that they could. She's not saying that we shouldn't aim for a higher occupation. She's not saying that we shouldn't um, consider regular trades. She's saying we need to examine what our capabilities are and put us where God puts us best, or put, go to the place where God has put us, where we'll perform the best. I think that you know a lot of times we just get really focused in society, especially I come from um, kind of an immigrant home. My mom's an immigrant, my dad's American, but. Definitely, you know, they were the, both of them were the first people who were college educated in their family. And so for them, they had very high expectations for me about where to go for school. And it took me a little while to stop and think, when I started studying this for the first time, am I wanting to be a lawyer because that's just the expectations that my parents have on me, because that's the expectation that the world has on me? Or is that, am I becoming a lawyer because that's the expectation God has of me? And those are two very different questions. In our society today, I mean, Magda was sharing the, the statistics. Over 60% of women, or over 60% of the people who graduate from college and graduate school are women and not men. We're pursuing high levels of education. 
But are we pursuing that education because God has called us to it, or are we pursuing it because it's what society expects of us? There's nothing wrong with aiming high in and of itself. Or there's nothing wrong with aiming high, but if it's just for aiming high in and of itself and not because God has called us there, then we're putting ourselves in dangerous territory. All right, we'll do the practical stuff now. So the first question is kind of like, we won't take much time to do this one, but what do I like to do, you know? What is it that interests me? God gives us interests, and that's a good indication to start with. Okay, what are the things that I actually like to do? And then the next one is this. What are my capabilities? What are the things that I am able to do? And I'm trying to see. All right. Because I wanted to go through these practical exercises with you, but I'm wondering how much time we have. I think we have time to take a couple minutes. So get your papers out, and for maybe about two minutes, write down, what are my capabilities? What am I good at? I'll give you some examples as you're writing down what I had written down for mine. Um, I think I wrote things like, I'm able to organize. I can work either by myself or with other people. I'm self-driven. Um, I can read and analyze stuff very quickly. I'm able to write. Um, what else did I put down for my capabilities? Just other talents and, and things that you have. I'm able to share information with others, and hopefully they understand it. You can let me know if that's no longer one of my capabilities, because then maybe that's a talent I need to work on a little bit. Um, but what are the things that, that I'm able to do, and I'm able to do well, that God has given in my life? So go ahead, take another minute, minute and a half. I think the person who had me do this gave me a lot longer than that, so I'm sorry. But this is an exercise you can go through again later, you know, in the evening and at a more relaxed pace. What are my capabilities? And if there's someone brave, I may ask you to share what your capabilities are, just so we can do like a little analysis. <laughs> And sometimes, so if you're struggling with this, like I don't know what I'm capable of, um, go back to your local church or go back to work, go back to school, go back to wherever you're coming from and ask the people who you work with on a regular basis. Because sometimes we're blind to our own abilities, but other people can tell us, oh, didn't you know you're really good at doing this? Or I always call you because you do that. And they can sometimes give us a more accurate description. So did you guys have enough time? Do you need more time to write down the capabilities? Are you guys done? Yes? No? Are you actually writing them down? I might rush on you too much. <laughs> All right, is there someone brave who's like willing to share their capabilities? Anyone? Anyone? Yeah? Okay, go ahead. Nice and loud. I'm gonna, I'll try to repeat them for the recording, but. Plan well and goal oriented? Detail oriented, okay. She cooks well. Good at facilitating meetings? Okay, good. <laughs> I know, I, I didn't give a lot of time. Great, so you know, everyone stop and think about their capabilities. And this is important because the next thing that we do is, what occupations match these capabilities? So sometimes it may only match two of the three or four of the five or whatever, but what are the things that match? So for me personally, when I went through the capabilities list, things came up like um, a manager or being a teacher, professor, being a lawyer was one that came up. And there was something, oh. so we, we did this in a group, I'm laughing, it was well, um, I, I received this advice while I was a missionary at campus, and one of my fellow missionaries was sitting back there, so she'll probably remember this. After I read what my capabilities were, one of the other missionaries said, oh, you'd be a good wedding planner. And the, the teacher of the class was like, 
brother, how does that help us reach the kingdom of God? And so again, the number one thing that we have to think about is, uh, can any of these occupations help me reach the kingdom of God? I'm not saying a wedding planner can't, if that's, you know, if that's what your capabilities are telling you. But it was kind of amusing why, you know, he was like a 19-year-old guy. I don't know why that came to his mind. But think about what capabilities. So just to pick on you again, what capabilities do you think match those, or what, what occupations match those capabilities? It sounds like you could be like a great executive chef or something like that, like running the kitchen and teaching people how to... Yeah? <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's true, that's true. Heading, uh, head of food services at our institutions or working with events like this, helping us detail and, and execute things. You know, different ideas. So like you start to make a list. What are the different occupations that could line up with this? Um, then the next question. Oh, wait. Oh, I didn't, okay. There's another step that I guess I didn't put on the slides. After you ask what occupations match these, you ask what's the number one one on the list? But the way you decide what's the number one occupation is not what's the most prestigious, what's the one my parents expect me to do, what's the one that my spouse expects me to do, what's the one I expect myself to do for different reasons. It's which one incorporates the most of the other ones. And that's why I started focusing towards law because you do get a lot of administrative tasks in law, but you're also very independent. You have to work with other people. You're teaching people, because either you're teaching other attorneys what you learned, or you're teaching a jury because you want them to bring back a verdict in favor of you. And you're able also to use those skills then in other places for ministry and things like that. So that's one of the reasons how I focused on this course of study that I'm currently on, because it was the one that incorporated the most other things. So look on that list, you know, once you figure out these are the different occupations that may help. What's the one that incorporates the most other ones? Um, and again, in the same way that if you don't know what your capabilities are, if you don't know what occupations match your capabilities, go and ask other people at church. Ask other people, you know, in, in different areas. If you're working at work, although maybe be careful. You don't want to give them a heads up that you're thinking about leaving. <laughs> you know, but, you know, talk to other people about, like, you know, I really think I have some, some talents in this area, but I don't know what I could do with them. What do you think you know, I could do? Or if you see someone who has the same capabilities as you, they're a good resource to you. All right, the next one. The question is, is it service-oriented? And the reason is this. Um, service is the way that we're able to develop the skills we currently possess and that help us to develop new skills in the future. So I'm not saying that it has to be a traditional like service trade kind of thing, like a job that provides services. And I'm not saying that you can't work for a private company. Um, in, in law, there's people who go into private practice and people who go into public service. I lean towards public service, but that's not what I'm meaning by here. It's, is it service-oriented in the sense it will help me with the strengths that I currently possess? I can use those things that I'm developing or that I've already developed, and will it help me develop new skills? Because if it's something where you're not going to grow and just be stagnant, why do you want to do that for the rest of your life until Jesus comes again? You know, like, we want to be continually growing. In heaven, we're going to be continually growing and doing new things and learning new things. So we need to get used to that while we're here. So ask yourself, is it service-oriented? Does it use my strengths? Does it develop new skills? And then ask yourself, what's my personality? You know, sometimes those personality tests aren't all bad that, you know, I'm a, um, the Meyer-Briggs, I take it, it's INTJ, so they call it the free thinker. You're an introvert, but still kind of social and stuff like that. And so you can be, kind of what I was saying, independent thinking, you can work with other people, you like to write, things like that. So think about your personality, like, okay, 
if the Lord's calling me to be an attorney, but I'm scared to get up and speak in front of one person, maybe that's not the thing that I'm supposed to do with my life. Or, you know what, I really want to be an engineer, but I can't add three plus five. Maybe, maybe engineering's not quite my calling. Or I guess that's more the capabilities, personality. Maybe I just can't sit still in front of the computer long enough to let it, let it uh, process all of the information. You know, maybe then that's, that's not the calling for you. Think about what your personality is. Because again, God impacts us. He's the one who made us who we are. And if our calling is something that's inconsistent with who he's made us to be, then it's probably not really our calling. All right, so we zoomed through that. My apologies. But the next thing. So we've already gone through the first two. We talked about... Um, Claiming promises in prayer, we talked about reflecting on our own, like on who God has made us to be, and those little steps helped us think through that, so hopefully you got those. If not, I can give you the slides after. The next thing is making God look good. Wherever God's calling us to be, it's not for us to make a name for ourselves, it's to make a name for God. We saw this in Genesis chapter 12, so let's go back there. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And let's read it again. The Bible says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whom who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. Who is making Abraham's name great in this promise? Did you guys catch it? God. God is the one who's making Abraham's name great. Abraham's just worrying about blessing all the nations of the world. And how do you bless all the nations of the world? Through sharing Jesus with them. He's just worrying about making God look good in what he does. And in the process, God is able to make him look good. Yesterday, Magda talked about Daniel and talked about Joseph a little bit. Think about it. That's what they were doing. Neither of them set out to be the highest officials in their country. They weren't like, you know what? I really think I need to be Pharaoh's right-hand guy. You know what? I think I need to be one of the people who's at the very top of the Babylonian empire. That was not their ambition. Their ambition was to stay faithful to God. And especially, look at Joseph's experience. His faithfulness to God ended him in prison at first. But as he continued to be faithful to God... God took him and he put him in second command of the country. The same thing with Daniel. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's food. And as a result, God made him ten times wiser than everyone else in, the, in, the, in, the, in that university, in that school. And God was able to use him to impact three different rulers of, that, of, that, um, of two different empires. So our, our, we just need to realize in our career... Are we trying to go down this path because I want to look good? I want to make a name for myself. And the easiest way for me to do that is to be, you know, the best nurse in the whole entire world or to be the best. That's not our concern. Our concern is, can I bring God's name glory through this occupation? And if that's where he's calling us, then that is also the place where he can make a name for us as long as we're worrying about him and he'll take care of the rest. All right. The next one is to ask God to check our attitude. I just want to make sure I'm not leaving out. Yes, okay. The first verse is Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7. Oops. Oh, all right. No, verse 9. 
Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Apparently when I typed my notes, I couldn't read my messy handwriting. But on the, I know it's right on the slide. 17, verse 9. And the Bible says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And this kind of goes back to you know, what we were talking about at the beginning. Why is it that we want to do the thing that we want to do? Because we need to check our hearts. Because it can be deceitful. Oh, yeah. I can do this profession. It would totally bring glory to God. You know, oh, the health message, God wants us to take it to the world. And so, you know, it's the right, uh, the right arm of the three angels' messages, so I need to be a physician. That may be true, but is that really your motive for wanting to be a physician? We need to examine our hearts. And he gives us another promise to help us with that. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. In verse 2, the Bible says, no, verse 12, I'm sorry. Thank you. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, we need to study the Bible not just for promises to claim and knowing where God is leading us, but we need to continue to study the Bible to discern what our motivation is. It's a sharp two-edged sword, and it will pierce right through our heart and show us. As we study, God will bring conviction to our heart. You know, your motivation for going down that path is really not the right way. Consecrate it to me, and we'll get you in the right direction. Sometimes, God may still have us going in the same direction that we were, but he'll change our heart. And other times, he may just completely send us on a different path. But regardless, we need to check our attitude before we move on and say, God, what is my real motivation for doing this? Is it to serve you? Is it to bring your name glory? Or is it because I think that there's something that I can get out of here? Um, then the last one, ask for confirmation. Now, if we're looking for signs as the only indication of what our God's will is for our life, that's not the right way about going about it. But God is always... Um, willing to confirm something that he has shown you as a result of prayer, as a result of studying his word, as a result of truly seeking him. It's part of the way that God works. And I'll show you a few examples of that. Let's go to Genesis chapter 41. Speaking of Joseph and Pharaoh, Joseph is talking to Pharaoh in this verse. And Genesis chapter 41, verse 32, it says this. And the doubting of Pharaoh, and the doubling, I'm sorry, the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it, to about, bring it about. So you remember that Pharaoh had a dream. And in the first dream, now I'm forgetting my story, which one came first, the corn? Yes. Yes. So <laughs> Pharaoh had a dream, and he saw seven healthy ears of corn. And then he saw selfie, uh, seven six ears of corn. Or, Seven non-sick ears of corn. I can't speak this morning. <laughs> and the seven sick ears of corn ate the seven healthy ears of corn. And Pharaoh's like, what in the world is this? And then he dreamed again, and he saw seven healthy cows, and then he saw seven unhealthy cows. And the seven unhealthy cows ate the seven healthy cows. So it was kind of the same dream, but not really. And what in the world? I need someone to interpret it. And that's where Joseph came in. So God gave Pharaoh this dream twice. The reason he gave it to him twice was so that he would know that this thing was set for sure. So in the same way, if God's revealed something to us in his word once, if he's willing to give this to Pharaoh, who's an unbeliever, he didn't you know, believe in God, but God was willing to show him twice what he was intending to do, God will confirm it to us again. But don't worry, you don't have to rely just on this one. Some of you look skeptical. Let's go to Mark. I think it's Mark. Yes. Mark 
Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Verses 15 to 17. The Bible says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will leave their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So you see, Jesus is saying, go and preach and make sure that people believe. But what's the result of people believing? They're going to receive signs. The signs are a confirmation of the word that they've already heard. The confirmation doesn't make any sense unless if they heard the word. So in the same way, a sign, <laughs> signs don't help us unless if we've already been going through all of the other process. All these other processes of praying, of searching God's will, of really intending. Like, the sign isn't going to act as a confirmation. It's not an act of faith to believe in it. But to see that, you know what, this is God just making abundantly clear, that is what he does. One more verse, I think. Yes, Hebrews chapter 2. I think this one I'm going to wish I had my KJV with me. Where's my phone? All right, Hebrews chapter 2. We can do this. Hebrews chapter 2. You guys are getting there before me. I'm sorry. Therefore... We ought, to give the more, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. So we need to give very special attention to the things that we've heard when we've been studying God's word, of, God's word and praying, reflecting what he has for us. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense and reward, how shall we escape if neglected so great salvation? which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. You see, God speaks and then God confirms. So he's not just going to give you something to say, or he's not just going to say something to you without actually confirming it. He wants to confirm it. And I mean, I'm not like when I'm saying signs, I'm not saying like, you know, give me a million dollars or something. You know, like a lot of times when we're thinking about signs, but God will give indication. Someone may come up to you and say a word, and you're like, wow, that was exactly, you know, what I've been praying about, that's what I've been thinking, and, and God used that person, spoke to them. It might be an experience. It, it could be anything that God uses in order to confirm all these other indications that we've been getting through everything else. Sorry, I keep looking at my watch. I just want to make sure we have time to answer questions. So confirmation is not the method of calling. It's just the thing that puts the seal on what, on what the call is. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. All right, so there's actually an example in Sarah's story of confirmation. Let's look at Genesis chapter 15. Because you see, God gave that promise in Genesis chapter 12, but that's not the only time he gave the promise. In fact, he repeated the promise to Abraham several times, and every time he repeated it, he made it more, um, more detailed and more specific. So let's look at Genesis chapter 15, and verses 4 and 5 say this, And behold... The word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, 
If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So you see, Abraham was worried. He was thinking, God, you're not going to bless me with children. And my heir is going to be the person who's going to have to fulfill this, um, to fulfill this calling on my life. Like, you're, you, you haven't given me any children. But God said, no, this child's going to come from your own body. And if it's coming from Abraham's body, again, can a man bear a child? No. <laughs> and so his wife is going to be involved in this. God was specific. He gave a confirmation of the call that they got before. This child is going to come from you. Let's go to Genesis chapter 17. Verses 16 through 19 and 21. So we'll actually talk a little bit more about what's happening in between these in just a second. But so God said, no, Abraham, the child's going to come from you. And now God gets even more specific. In verse 16, he says, oh, I turned too many pages. I will bless her, talking about Sarah. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become Nations, kings of people shall come from her. Then, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall, shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Um, then verse 21. But I, This is God speaking again. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So now this time, God's getting more specific. He's confirming the same promise again. No. The promised child is going to be born through Sarah. He actually says her name this time. Sarah is going to be the person who gives birth to this child. And all the nations are going to be blessed. Kings are going to come out of her as a result of this. God reconfirmed that, that promise. And then Genesis chapter 18, verses 1. Sarah finally gets to hear this for herself. You know, all, all this time it was Abraham. This time it's Sarah who hears. Verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, and he sat at the door of his tent, and he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Jumping down to verse 10. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abram, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. About this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. So you see, God even came and told Sarah that she's going to have a child. And she's like, no, whatever. And how many times do we laugh in the face of God? Like, you want me to do what? And God's like, is there really anything that's impossible for me? There's nothing that's impossible for God. Whatever he's calling us to do, he's going to enable us to do that. And he will continue to confirm to us what it is. He actually came and told Sarah, and she was laughing. Now let's go to Genesis chapter 21. And we see this is not just a confirmation. This is the actual fulfillment of it. And we'll do that. When God promises us something, he sets us on a life course, he will bless us with the ability to see the fulfillment of it. Genesis chapter 21, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of God, 
at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Do you see what that verse said? Abraham called to him of his son, the son that was born to him, so the son that came out of Abraham's body, who Sarah bore him, who came out of Sarah's body, Isaac. The complete fulfillment of the promises that God had given. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, and God had as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him in a, soul, a son in old age. In the same way, when, when we understand what God's calling for our life is and we, and we achieve that, it can bring laughter, it can bring joy to our experience. And other people will be amazed by it. That's God bringing glory to his name and us not having to worry about the prestige, but him giving it to us through, through him working out his plan for our life. Now, I was kind of skipping some of the bad parts of the story, but we're going to go back and look at those, because we can learn from it too. You see, we can study the Bible, and we can come to an understanding of what God's will for our life is, but we try to take it into our own hands, and we try to make sure things happen in our own way. And that's something that Sarah and Abraham did. And that's the way that we can kind of trip ourselves up as we're going down this path of figuring out, what is God calling me to do? Um, so, let's go back to Genesis chapter 11, verse 30. And this is the reason why all the mistakes began. And we kind of got a hint out of that out of the last few verses that we read. Now, Sarai was barren. She had no children. So in the verses before, we learned that she's Abram's wife. And then the very first thing that they used to describe her after saying she, that she's his wife is that she's barren. She has no children. Yet God's calling her to be the mother of all of these nations. Now, usually when we see something that seems impossible to us, we'll just complain to God, oh, I can't do that. It's so impossible. But Abraham and Sarah believed God enough that they thought, okay, children are going to come about somehow. But they tried to take that into their own hands. And they didn't go about it in the way that God had intended for them. I'll give you a couple illustrations. Let's look at um, Genesis chapter 12. We actually, let's see. We won't read through the whole thing. But you can write it down and go back. In verses 10 through 20, they end up in Egypt. And Abraham was scared like, man, Sarah's so beautiful that unless if I lie to Pharaoh and say that you're my sister, he's going to take you and he's going to kill me and he's going to take you to be a wife. Now, why would he be worried about him getting killed and Sarah getting killed, except for the fact that then God's promises couldn't be fulfilled? But instead of relying on God to keep him safe, to fulfill his promises, he's taking it in, within his own hands. And Sarah just said, you know, she could have told Pharaoh, hey, by the way, that guy's actually my husband, you know, but did she say anything? No. They both kept their mouths shut. Well, Abraham didn't keep his mouth shut. Sarah did. They misled Pharaoh, and as a result, God started bringing, you know, a mess into Pharaoh's house. So... They lied. That was something that was inconsistent that's clear with the word of God. We talked at the very beginning. When God speaks, it happens. And so we need to have the same in our own speech. Lying is not an option. Second, Genesis chapter 16. This was after God promised Abraham that the child would come out of Abraham's body, but he hasn't said specifically Sarah. So Sarah starts getting an idea in her mind. She's like, you know what, Abraham? I'm still barren. I'm not getting any younger. Children are born to younger women, not to older women. Maybe you should take my handmaid. You should sleep with Hagar. And then the child can still be credited to me. And then God can fulfill his promise that way. 
Instead of relying on God and trusting in him to fulfill their plan for the life, Sarah took it into her own hand. And as a result, it brought tons of misery into their house. After Isaac was born, Sarah made Hagar and Ishmael leave. And God told Abraham to listen to Sarah and to make them leave. But how much easier would it have been on Abraham if she wouldn't have brought that sin into her house in the first place? It was asking her husband to sleep with someone who was not his wife. I think she became his concubine or something. But still, we know consistently from the Bible that, a really, that marriage is supposed to be between one man and one woman. And here, a second woman was brought into the family. You see, if in anything we think that we have to do something that would contradict what's clear in the word of God in order to achieve what we think God's calling is on our life, then that's not the means by which we're supposed to go about it. If it's going to break anything that we know is clear from the word of God, that's not the way that God's calling us to do it. The calling may be true. God did want Abraham to have a child, and he wanted it to be through Sarah. But if it was going to be through the means of lying, through the means of adultery, they should have known that's not the way that God intended it. How much pain could they have saved their family? Could they have saved the world if they would have just relied on God in the way that he intended for them to go about it. So as you're thinking, as God's making clear to you, you know, this is what I want you to do with your life. Remember, it's not upon, it doesn't depend upon us to make the circumstances right. God will change the circumstances are necessary, and he's the one who's able to make the impossible possible. But there's a happy ending to this story. Because you see, following God's will for our life is an act of faith. And the old, at least I skimmed it over quickly, and I think Sarah is the only named person in the Hall of Faith. The, not named person, the only named woman. Let's look at Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. You see, I think something happened in Genesis chapter 18 when she heard God come by, and she heard him say that she would be a mother. And she was laughing, but then it took to heart, like, God is calling me to something that's impossible. But because it's God, it just might be possible. Not because I can do it, but because God is able. And I think that's why we find this passage in Scripture. Genesis chapter 11, starting in verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. You see, God promised Abraham and Sarah a certain calling on their life. He said, this is what I want for you. I want you to be the couple that begins to change the world. And they were able to fulfill that calling because they had faith in God. It wasn't, a lot of times we talk about righteousness by faith, the call of Abram, but we forget that Abram was married, that Abraham was married, and he had a wife named Sarah. And unless if she had that faith too, that calling would have fallen short. But as we're examining our own lives, the same can be said of us. By faith, she was able to have the power in order to achieve the mission that I have given her. That's what God can say about each and every one of us. Whether it's becoming a teacher, becoming a nurse, becoming a mother, becoming a lawyer, becoming an engineer, becoming whatever it may be. If we know that's the calling that God has in our life, we can fully rely on him to make the circumstances the, what they need to be, to give us the power, to help us overcome the impossible, and to do what needs to be done. Do you guys believe that? Was this helpful to you? All right.
Well, we have a few more minutes, about five minutes, and I know that this is something that people have a lot of questions on. I'll, I'll close that. And so I just want to open the floor for questions. I don't have all the answers, because like I said, I'm just going through the process of figuring this out, but there are some, several wise women sitting in this room also. So are there any questions that you have, either relevant to this or to um, anything else that we've talked about so far? Oh, praise the Lord. Okay. Okay. Well, praise the Lord. Yesterday, the sister lost her wallet in the transition between seminar rooms when they switched us, and so we're praying that it would come back and it did. Praise the Lord. Any questions? All right. How many of you think, based on the information that we presented, say, you know what, Lord, this is something that I really need to commit to prayer. I sense, you know, I'm not sure where you're calling me, or I'm not sure if you're calling me in a different direction if you've already started, and I'd like some special prayer about that. Is there anyone like that? All right. Okay, well, I'll pray, and then um, if any of you would like to talk afterward, we can talk, and then our last seminar with the other ladies who will be coming to share will begin shortly. Let's pray. Dearest Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much that you created each of us for a special purpose and that you have a work for each and every one of us to do to take this gospel to the whole entire world. And Lord, I thank you that you've even varied the different ways in which we can do that and that you've given us different talents and capabilities in order to reach that call that you've given each and every one of us, Father. We thank you that your eye is on us that you're watching us as individuals and that you love us, Lord. And we pray that you'll help us to remember that so that we may never doubt you and your ability to guide us through any circumstances in life. Father, there are young ladies here this morning who know that you're calling them in a direction, but they're not really sure which way that is, whether they're still in school and not sure what occupation they're call you're calling them to or if they're already working and they're not sure if you're calling them in a different direction. I just pray that as we go throughout this weekend, that your voice may continue to speak to them, Father. Help them to take the time to claim your promises, Lord, to reflect on the capabilities that you've given them, to evaluate the attitudes of their own heart, Lord, so that you can make clear to them what it is that you would have them to do. We thank you so much for the examples that you give us in your scripture and the hope that it gives us that we too may be counted faithful for if even the people in the Bible who made mistakes and were sinners, Lord, were able to be called faithful, that you may be able to say the same of us. And we just pray that you'll help us to overcome the sins of our life, that we may be faithful to you, Lord. I just pray that you'll be with us now as we go into this last seminar and um, that you'll just continue to speak to us. I ask these things in Jesus' holy and wonderful name. This message was produced by GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. GYC seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians in contemporary contexts. To download or purchase other resources like this, or if you have been blessed by GYC and would like to donate, visit gycweb.org or email info at gycweb.org. You could also reach us via mail at P.O. Box 3786 Ann Arbor, Michigan, 48106. This recording is licensed under Creative Commons. 
This means you can copy and share it with anyone you'd like. Please attribute this recording to GYC wherever you reuse it, and keep in mind that resale and alteration are strictly prohibited.